Thank you. Morning, everybody. Um, it's really, I, I felt a real energy of being back um, here since September. I don't know whether anybody else feels the same. It feels like the start of a new year, um, although without the New Year's resolutions, which is always a winner. Um, no diets have to start in September. Um, but it's, you know, it just feels like there's a sense of hope and expectation and joy as we're gathered together um, on Sundays um, and sort of an expectation of what's happening in the week as well. And this year's been a bit different. I mean, well, the last few years have, have been a bit different. Uh, what is normal anymore, you might say. Um, but obviously, we've gone through a transition as a church. Of Steve and Tammy have stepped out to plant at Garden City Vineyard in Milton Keynes. Um, we've got rid of the veals, but they appear to have uh, crept back in today. Um, but uh, no, sorry, that wasn't in my notes. Um, stick to that. Um, and it, but this has meant that uh, Dan and Vicky and Pete and I have stepped into um, a senior leadership role and we've been able to communicate um, and go through again the vision of Central Vineyard and what it is um, that we're here for and a bit of intentionality around that. Um, and we've said it again and again, we're just going to kind of repeat these visions and values um, as we go through this next term as well. So at Central Vineyard, we seek to be a transformational church community following Jesus and joining God in the renewal of all things. We love the opportunity to gather together and celebrate as a church family on a Sunday, but we know that the transformation process happens through the week. It's not what happens here in this half an hour teaching slot, luckily. Um, pressure off me there. Um, but we want to empower and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. We want to set a culture uh, where we join God um, in what he is doing. Um, and he is the centre of all of that. Renewal in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, in our community, our town and further, always starts with Jesus. Over the past three weeks, we've shared about our vision, uh, sorry, our values and practices about how, we, how this underpins the vision, um, the values that we see Jesus living out and how we can adopt those values in our own lives. And it all started um, with, with Dan two weeks ago um, with prayer. And that is the best place to start, isn't it? Our communication and our worship to God. Prayer laced with the Holy Spirit, where we press into his presence and invite him to fill us again and again. Without that, the rest could just be put aside. We need to be rooted in him before any of the doing. And as we spend time being with Jesus... In prayer, we're naturally then compelled to do what Jesus did and what he is still doing now and encouraged to play our part. So last week, Pete delved into scripture around the calling to serve, using our gifts and the vineyard value of everybody gets to play. So if you miss that or want to respond to that, um, you can catch up on last week. It's all on YouTube and on our podcasts. And then that leads us into living generous lives. God, um, last week we spent time dwelling on how God loves us first. He always makes that first move. He seeks us out and tracks us down and he longs for us to live in fullness. From this fullness, we have overflow, not overwhelm. And that calls us into giving away generously. So let's begin with scripture. If you want to turn in your Bibles um, to 2 Corinthians 9. It's going to be on the screen as well. And the reason we say turn, to your, turn into your Bibles is it makes you familiar with where that passage is so that you can go back to it time and again and become more comfortable with what's where in the Bible. So reading from 2 Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously 
will also reap generously. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you more abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. In the message version of this, verse 10, where it says on this, uh, in this version, it says, he, supply, he who supplies seeds. The message version describes this most generous God. And this is where I want to start, with grasping the generosity of God, the one who loved us first. And we read it again and again in scripture, in abundance, in love, in faithfulness, full of grace, the greatest giver of all. As the world's created right at the beginning of the Bible, we read in Genesis 1, we see an outpouring of God's generous creativity. Across a blank space, he marks out light and dark, sea and land. He scatters plants and creatures, breathes life into mankind. He creates companionship and gives dominion. He gives an unlimited supply of food. God gives and gives and gives. But he went beyond survival and sustainability. It says in 1 Timothy 6:17, God provides richly everything for our enjoyment. Alongside the expansive seas and mountains and glorious vistas, he made 750,000 species of insects. Now, we might not thank him for the insects, but 400,000 species of flowers, 200,000 species of edible plants, and 10,000 species of birds, and more stars than we could ever count. God is radical in his generosity. His creativity is to bring us joy. But his generosity is not abstract. It's also in the detail. He saw man in that moment and was concerned for him being alone. He created a helper and a love. And he sees us too and is concerned for us, the individual. He reaches out and cares for us again and again. As the psalmist David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And I can never fathom, personally, this is one of those things I can't hold in both hands, the creator of the universe, yet he cares for me and the details of my life. Adam and Eve, so they were invited to the banqueting table with the king of the universe, the most generous host. But we know that this Edenic moment is short-lived as the serpent whispers that God isn't who he claims to be. You can't trust his generous favor. He must have an agenda, so therefore we must take life in our own hands. And the power switches from the giver to the taker. 
Eve taking the fruit where from it shouldn't be taken. And I imagine this as some kind of Indiana Jones moment where she reaches out to grab the fruit and God in slow motion going, no! Um, but the, the thing is, this isn't just that moment in history or the curse of one woman for all time. It's in fact a decision that we make time and time again every day when we repeat those same lies that God can't be generous enough to meet our needs, that we need to work harder, we need to do more, we need to look after ourselves because who else will? We, again and again, have traded abundance for scarcity, a shift in the human heart from a posture of grateful, trusting, receiving, to an egoic heart of greed. Throughout the Bible, we see that God does not change. He is forever faithful, the father with his outstretched arms to the prodigal son. But there's ongoing battle through the Bible and through our lives between God in his calling his people to trust and rely on him, to come back to him, and the stubborn child who thinks he knows best. We see generations shown radical generosity, yet turning their back on God's love, repeatedly broken as mankind strives for separation and independence. We see metaphors of the father inviting the weary child to flop into his arms and say, I will do it. And yet the child's futile attempts at self-reliance, like a child trying to tie their own laces, saying, I can do it. Do we see ourselves in this. I know I do. We've just read, God is able to bless you more abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. But do we live in this level of generosity? Do we take risks that means we uh, rely on God's abundance rather than our fruitfulness? It's a lot easier often, isn't it, to plan and to be in control but is it actually easier? Allowing God to be in control is often a battle, one that we return to again and again. But if we budge our bottoms off that driving seat and allow God to take control, maybe we'll just go on a journey beyond our wildest dreams. But first we have to let go. We'll never know whether God will provide for all that we need if we are so busy trying to provide for ourselves. The invitation into a generous life begins with surrender. To open our hands and to let go, letting that forbidden fruit fall from our hands and embracing the Father who can do it all. Of course, even in our own attempts for surrender, we trip up, we fall, we can't quite get there. God knew that he would always have to create a way for us to come back to him. He would always make the first move. And this, of course, leads us to Jesus, the most indescribable gift. The generous father reaching out to his children all that he has, his only son. We know that verse so well, don't we, in John 3.16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The most simple and the most complex act of generosity in history. Jesus' hands outstretched on that cross, surrendering all, could more lo generous love be demonstrated? 
God's generosity is a core characteristic of who he is. And us being made in his image, it's key to who he has created us to be. We were created out of generosity for generosity. God gives us the ability to be generous. He models this generosity and he provides opportunities for us to express generosity. Out of his abundance, from what we receive from him, we can give away. As we've just read, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So as we receive, we get to give. There's something that happens when we're generous, whereby we may part with material things, with money, with time, but whatever we give away, we will return, it will return um, and we will receive. And it's not always like for like. Perhaps you give time to listen to somebody. We might never get that time back, but do we get an insight, a fresh perspective, wisdom, growing empathy? Perhaps there are gifts that we get in giving our time. Perhaps we see we give financially, and then we see the fruit of this. We see how it has blessed somebody else. That's maybe more of a blessing than that cash in our pocket. Luke tells us in Acts that Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Wisdom that was even recognized by Solomon in Proverbs. Proverbs 11.24 says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And when we talk about being countercultural, it's one of those heart-hitting moments. Giving away does not make sense. It's not what the world commands. Personally, um, when we've sought financial advice, like when we were trying to get a mortgage, the advisors scratched their head as they looked at um, the bank balances and things and, and couldn't understand why there was a commitment to giving. They basically were saying to us, if you could not do that, then you would have more to go into your mortgage. You could buy a bigger house. You could own more. You could have more debt, but have greater assets. As Richard Foster says in The Freedom of Simplicity, contemporary culture is plagued by a passion to possess. The unreasoned boast abounds that the good life is found in accumulation, that more is better. This is what our culture tells us. It says, treat yourself. You work hard, you deserve it. Whatever it might be, a nice meal out, a new car, new clothes each month, this is your right. It would be crazy to work hard and then give away. But listening to uh, John Mark Comer on this topic, he's done far more research than me and quotes... Um, I've deleted it. He quotes a book. I don't know what it's called. It's deleted. But he's found out um, that sociologists have discovered that generous people are happier, healthier, and live longer. They have lower levels of generosity and... Sorry, lower levels, no, of not generosity. I've lost my place now completely. Lower levels of depression and anxiety. They are more interested in personal golf growth. They have better long-term relationships. But the fact is, money doesn't buy happiness. But being able to hold loosely to money and being generous can. And when we look at counterformation, we're not trying to be awkward um, and challenge every aspect of Western lifestyle, but we're turning to Jesus for the answers because we believe that he will show us the way to live. He will show us the truth and the life that he has created for us. 
a life that is full and free and unburdened, not hollow and anxious and weighty. And so although living deeply generously is a challenge, it promises, promises us that living a way that God wants us to live is better than the way the world wants us to live. Generosity is a heart posture that Jesus challenges again and again. In fact, if we look at his um, talks and parables and sermons, 25% revolve around money and being generous. Imagine if that was our preaching schedule here at Central Vineyard. Once a month, we'd be banging on about money and you'd be asking what our agenda is. But of course, Jesus wasn't seeking an audience to empty their pockets into the gift bowls. He was only ever interested in matters of the heart. He mixed with those with plenty of money and those with none, those who were honourable and faithful with what they had and those that were devious. He saw rituals and acts and secret moments. And in all this seeing, he saw the heart. Generosity is preferring the other at the sacrifice of self. It's being inconvenienced, putting someone else or something else first. If we consider the biblical tithe, it was giving of the first fruits before anything else was harvested. The best and the only crop. Imagine that. You don't know what the next season is going to hold, but you give the first crop that's come and then rely on God fully to provide for the next season. Living generous lives mean we choose to live in complete reliance on God's abundance when we give what we have in our hands first before our priorities. It comes from the heart and it's something between us and God. It may seem easier to give from a place of excess, overflow, plenty, whatever's left. But radical generosity is about giving first. You might be familiar with that phrase, the heart wants what the heart wants. And it's often used to justify a person's agenda, often around materialism, consumerism, selfishness, maybe relationships. But the reality is, the heart is shaped to want what the world says it should want. We are all consciously or subconsciously influenced by media, advertising, peers, fashion, social pressures. But Jesus calls us again and again to align our hearts with what God wants, not what the world wants or what we think we want. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our longing and focus and preoccupation with money is a distraction from God. As Billy Graham once said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. God is far more interested in our hearts and our whole lives than he is in the coins in a pot. But he knows that if we surrender the control of money, if we are, then we are set free from it controlling us. When we read about spiritual gifts in, gifts in Romans, it says we have different gifts and then it begins to name them. If it's giving, then give generously. And this indicates that giving is a gift for some. In the same way, as some might be more inclined to give words of prophecy or encouragement. Some may be more inclined to give practical help. And I've seen over time those that are natural gift givers, those who can spot a need and without hesitation 
can meet that need. They will always step in. And I do believe that is a spiritual gift. But generosity goes beyond that. Generosity is a gift for some, but a calling for all. It's a request for all of us to give what we have in our hands. And it's really easy to think that we might have nothing to give, to count ourselves out or to wait until we have more. When I have more time, I can come and volunteer for that. When I've got more money, I can give more. When I've got more freedom, when I don't have the children at home anymore, imagine what I can do. But the reality is, as our life fills up with more of these things, it's harder to make space, to make time, and to give it away. Because we more, become more reliant on what we've worked for. We look forward to gaining that asset of time or money or space or whatever it is. John Marcoma comments in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that the Senate committee, subcommittee in 1967 predicted that by 1985, the average American or British Western adult would only work 22 hours a week. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Technology would afford us so much more time. However, the irony is, the more advanced we have become, the harder we work to afford these advancements. So the truth is we cannot wait until we have more because that will only bind us further to what we then have. As Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel through the eye of a needle. And of course, wealth doesn't prevent us having access to God. But a heart focused on gaining wealth often can be a block. So if generosity doesn't start now, with where we are at now, with what we have in our hands at this very moment, it will not become easier with the more that we have. We can often be held back by doing what God calls us to do, by looking at what we can't do. But God always uses what we do have. Think of the boy with the loaves and the fishes. Fish, fish, can't say plural fishes. He always matches our skills, our energy, our commitment with his supernatural. He multiplies it beyond what we can give. If you think of, of us all giving a little of what we have towards the church, and then that becomes multiplied, and we see the fruit of that in everything that happens here and through the week. So what holds you back from giving what's in your hand? Is it scarcity? I don't have enough. Is it lack of confidence? What can I do? Surely they don't need me. Is it fear? If I give it away, I might then be without. Can I really trust on God's abundance? Is it responsibility? I need to provide. It's all on me. Is it consumerism and what the world says? I have so many plans of what I can do with what I have gained. In many places across the Bible, we see an instruction to be generous to those in need. And we want to create a culture of generous, generosity here at Central Vineyard. Jesus instructs his followers in Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then later in Acts 2, we see this in action. 
The wanderers have settled and they build the early church. And it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Whilst our expression of church doesn't look exactly like this, we do want to create a culture where we respond generously to the needs of others around us. It might be as we move into community circles that we get to know each other more. There are practical, emotional, spiritual, financial ways we can support each other. It might be that somebody needs practical help with DIY or meals when they're unwell. It might be a single parent family who would love some company at the weekend when time is such a precious commodity for families. It might be that somebody has a financial need like a mum needing a new buggy or a bike to get to work. And these are just examples that we have come across in the last week or two at Central Vineyard. How are we looking out for each other? How are we ready and willing to step in that gap, allowing ourselves to be inconvenienced and acting out of radical generosity? How can we grow in this area? And whilst we teach on generosity today, it would be amiss for me to ignore current climate. We know that this season might be a time that many are dreading. Perhaps you're in this room and struggle to see where you fit in with this subject because things are really tight. Statistically, there'll be about 20 people in this room who are in debt. Maybe about 40 more who are living hand to mouth. No savings, no backup. So if you are here today feeling like that, you are not alone. We would love to support you at this time. We're looking at offering a, a cap money course um, that teaches the basics of um, budgeting and managing what you have, whether that's little or plenty. And it's open to all. Many of the leaders in the church have committed to doing that course. I don't feel like we can talk today about generosity without making space to say every person in this room needs community and we want to be a generous community that looks out for each other. But I believe that if we want to press into this area, we have to encourage vulnerability and honesty. We have to allow each other to meet each other's needs. It's not those out there or those that come in to restore that need our help. We all need each other's help. If requests go unnoticed, or only the same people respond again and again, then others become reluctant to share. We want to break down the embarrassment and stigma around finances and just be a generous church that gives and takes as is needed. We want to be poised and ready and waiting to meet each other's needs. Now, one model that I've heard of um, that we, we do as a family, but also in lots of other churches, um, and lots of families in this church do this, is to set aside additional to what you give to the church some money each month and ask God for a prompt and say, where can I share this? What is the need? And perhaps then you'll start to notice needs arising. Again, from that first portion, not from what's left over. When we've had struggles in our own lives personally, operations or illnesses particularly, people have stepped in with meals, with different acts of kindness. And I remember the radical generosity when somebody bought us a bag of groceries from a very expensive store where we wouldn't normally shop. We normally shop at Lidl, so anything's expensive compared to that. Um, but 
um, bought a really nice bag of real luxury groceries. And when our whole family had COVID, a friend from another church created an online order and had that delivered to our house. Radical generosity is being willing and ready, poised. I'm going to step in as soon as I see that need. What would it look like if we became a church known for radical generosity? A few months ago, somebody in our church was having some problems with their car, um, and we called the garage asking if we could pay for, the, pay for the bill. But because I was a bit slow and dithering, it was a bit of a fail. Um, I got the timing all ro- wrong, and it turned out that the car owner was there to pick up their car and had paid for it already. Um, so it turned out while I was on the phone to the garage, the other person was there and hearing the other side of the conversation. So my anonymous act of kindness was completely blown Um, But the guy comes off the phone and then this person then later um, tells me the story. She said, he told all his colleagues, you'll never guess what, somebody's just tried to pay for the repairs on that car. How weird is that? Um, The whole of the office were talking about it, dumbfounded. And the car owner hears this and pipes up, that'll be my church, they're always doing things like that. Total fail on generosity, but I'm striking up as a win for... God's God's reputation. And through Restore, we've got to meet many professionals. When we show them around the building, they'll say, what's this room? Um, Seeing the uh, the things for the band on stage. And we talk about how we're a church um, that's got the charity aspect connected to it. We talk about the radical generosity, the way that the church will meet the needs of our families that are coming in. And I've got a relationship with uh, one professional a staunch, self-professed atheist who, says, who said to me once, I'll never come to church, but if I did, I'll come to one like yours. That where you genuinely look after the poor and put your money where your mouth is. Is this not exactly what we said at the beginning? In the Bible verse, it said, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing into many expressions of thanks of God. Because the service which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your profession of the gospel. You put your money where your mouth is. It's not words that we say, it's what we also do. Generosity brings attention to God. Others will praise God when we're obedient. Isn't that an encouragement to step out? The Love NN, oh, I haven't got mine on. The Love NN badges that Pete was sharing about last week are an opportunity for us to demonstrate that we love Northampton, that we love the people here. How can we show that we are generously blessed and will generously bless others? Maybe buying somebody a cup of coffee, an act of kindness in the workplace, maybe buying that bag of groceries for a neighbour giving a homeless person your coat, not just offering a few bits of spare change. What would it look like to consider your generosity here at Central Vineyard? We've talked about playing your part, and last week we gave an opportunity to respond and to um, step into different areas of serving. Now, I'm the optimist, and I was pleased that 10% of the people in the room um, did pop their name down on a sheet last week. Pete wasn't quite as optimistic. But what could we do to be more radically generous than just seven more people? on the serving rotor? How can we celebrate and help build the family and be together? 
What could you step into to give sacrificially of your time and your gifts to bless others? And we're not going to shy away this morning from the fact that since the pandemic, church giving has decreased. I'm super aware, as we've said, of the financial stress that we that we is going on at the moment, the cost of living and fuel and household bills. But let's think again where we started. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God lives a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all times, having all that you will need, you will abound in good work. What are you sowing into? What do we want to reap here at Central Vineyard? We need to sow generously. And we've shared some amazing stories in our story times over the last few months of our youth going to DTI. Our church giving enabled the leaders to give up their time and go and accompany them to pay for spaces for those that couldn't afford to go. We painted the playground over the summer. We were able to buy resources out of our church giving for that. We've got a vision for a creche to open in a new space here. And we need more resources for those things. Like every home and business, we have costs, overheads, and we'll be hit more than what we expected, more than what we've budgeted for, and more than we've had funding for. At Grow Baby and Food Bank, we give out fresh food, essentials, and goods that we need to buy. What we expected that would cost has now gone way above. If the church is able to give generously to all of these different parts of our mission, including maybe our gas and electric, that means all these projects can run over five days a week. We have two community cafes that open during the week where people will come this winter to keep warm, to seek shelter. We would love to be able to say, we are here, we are free, as we always have done. This is what our church is called to be in our community. Generous with what we have. So I want each person to consider, what is it? What have you decided to give in your heart? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. What do you want to sow? Now, I'm not jumping into a talk on tithing. The percentage is no interest to, to me. But like we've said, the biblical example is to give of our first fruits, to set aside before we give to the other things that we want. And giving through standing order is super helpful as we, as a leadership, consider what's next. What is God calling us into and what are we able to do? Because we can step out in faith, which we will and we are doing but we also need to know that the church is with us. And sometimes it can be easy to forget, why am I doing this? You know, just maybe come out of your bank as, um, as a bill each month. But giving is also a spiritual practice that aligns our heart with God's truth. It's more than a habit. It's a life-altering stance that's radical and counter to culture. All spiritual practices serve a purpose and generosity helps us move away from control and power and materialism, consumerism, ambition and pride, and move towards freedom and love and hope and justice, kindness, grace, and reliance on God. We posture ourselves towards what Psalm 23 calls a life without lack. 
So we've explored how we are created to be generous by God, that he was generous first. It's a calling on us all, and it brings glory to God. And we do believe that the biblical model that Jesus sets is to give to the local church of where you're committed, for the church to be effective in our kingdom mission. So we say today, let's start where you are at. Maybe that's a 2%, maybe 10, maybe 30. But what would it look like as we grow up as a church, as individuals? Potentially our incomes will increase over time. But rather than focusing on increasing our standard of living, increasing our level of giving, what would it take to push into your reliance on God's abundance. And so as we come to our end, I'm just going to read from Malachi 3.10. This is the only part of the Bible where God invites us to test him. He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Shall we stand? <clears throat>